Last year, we gave the prophetic word over our church for the year 2023. And the word that the Lord gave us for this house is the word faith. A year of expanding faith. Growing faith. A year where we will grow in faith, but also into new areas and new things because of the growth of faith. And if you haven't heard last week's message, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and watch last week's message. We talked about faith to move at his word. Peter specifically, when Jesus tells him, go back into the sea, go back into the deep and cast your net. And Peter looks and says, I told all night long and caught nothing but at your word. And we need faith in order to be able to move at his word. And the word faith, the definition of it is complete trust in someone or something. So when you look it up in the dictionary, that's what faith means. Complete trust in someone or something. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Trusting in him. And that is what it means to have faith, complete trust in someone or something, complete trust in someone or something. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is not a definition of faith, but much better described as a, a description of faith in operation. It is describing faith. Where it is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Once you see it, you don't need faith. Faith is believing when you don't see it. That's what faith is. Now, I need to tell you something this morning. We cannot trust who we do not believe. Has anybody ever let you down more than once? And then they tell you, when the, the next time they tell you, yeah, I'm going to be there. You don't believe it? <laughs> You're like, yeah, right, you know, when I see it. God, he has never failed. He is faithful to every single one of his words and his promises. And you and I, we cannot trust who we do not believe. And the question is, do we truly actually believe what God has said and who he is? Because faith requires belief. Faith requires belief. If you're not believing, there is no faith. And sometimes we have a dead faith because there is no operation or action or activation to it. It's just a thing that we have. Oh, I have faith. And we don't. Because if there was faith, we'd act on it. I gave the example last week of everybody having had faith because they sat down on the chairs without checking if the chair was going to hold them. You had faith that the manufacturer of the chair did its job, and the chairs were going to hold you. And, and, and here's the thing. You could have told me I have faith that the chair will hold me, but if you never sat, I'd question your faith. Why? Because you never did what you said you believed. Faith requires belief. It requires belief. Now, I, I, I want us to get into the Word this morning. If you've got your Bible, let me see it. Wave your Bible. I love looking at Bibles. I love it. Awesome. I looked at somebody this morning, they asked me about a verse, and I went to read it, and it was, in new, it was in King James. I was like, bro, you need a new Bible. Get a Bible you can understand, that we can read. Thee, thou, we do not talk that way in today's language, right? 
I'm waiting for the Gideons to change it and give a better translation than King James at every hotel. Matthew chapter number 9, verse 27. It says, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you, and their eyes were open. I find it very interesting that Jesus' qualifying question to these blind men when they ask him to have mercy is this, do you believe I can do what you're asking me? Because that is a depiction of what he's asking us today. You're saying you have faith, but the question is, do you believe that he can heal? Do you believe that he can restore? Do you believe that he can renew? Do you believe that he can fix what is broken? Do you believe or do you say you do but don't think he can? See, the word believe, if you look it up in the dictionary, the word believe just means this, accept something as true. So what Jesus is looking at these men and asking them when they, when they say, have mercy on us, Jesus looks at them and he says, do you accept as true that I can heal you. Can I tell you there are Christians all around the world that do not believe in the full manifestation of the Holy Spirit and Jesus healing and delivering and doing all these different things today and they don't believe it because they haven't seen it. But just because you haven't experienced it doesn't make it not true. What makes it true is your belief. On what God said. And so he asks us that qualifying question. Do you believe I can do it? And sometimes we're like, yes, yes, I believe. Yes, yes, I believe. But our actions don't follow suit hand in hand with what belief is. You and I, we have to believe accepting as truth thinking it is true. When you look at these two words, because they go hand in hand, faith and belief. When you look at them in the original language, the word faith is the word pistis. The word believe is the word pisteu. And when you look it up in the dictionary, uh, in original language dictionary of it, it says that pisteu or believe is the verb component of pistis. In other words, it's like the action. And so you can say you have faith, but if you do not believe, it will not be in operation. Like, have you ever had a test in college or in a biology class that the question is, did we come from monkeys? I did. I went to college, secular university. Yes, we did. I didn't believe it. I just wrote it. Catch that. I didn't believe it, but I wrote it. And we've got believers all around the planet who are saying they have faith, but there's no belief in their faith. 
There's no thought process. It has not become an internal reality that this is something true. We have this mindset of if I see it, then I'll believe it. But that's not faith. I don't need faith to believe that that's a purple chair. Burgundy, whatever color that is. I see it. Clear day. Belief. It goes hand in hand with your faith. Now, I, I need you to understand something else. As we believe, we receive. As we believe, we receive. What was the phrase that Jesus said to the two blind men? According to your faith. Watch this. Get your Bibles. I want you to flip the page over. We were in chapter 9. We're going to go to chapter 8. We're going to read a little bit of the Bible because we're at church. So we read the Bible at church. It says in verse number 1 of chapter 8, When he came down from the mountain, a great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him, knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. See, he knew Jesus could do it. He just wasn't sure if Jesus was willing to do it. So his question was, or statement, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus responds and stretches out his hand, touches him, saying, I will be clean. In other words, yes, I can, and yes, I want to. Jesus touched him. He was a leper. You don't touch lepers. You stayed away from lepers. Jesus knew it, touched him, and said, be healed, be well. Immediately, the leprosy was cleansed. You scroll down, you go to verse number five. It says, he enters Capernaum, and a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Now, I need you to understand something for a second, just so that you get the context. A centurion was a Roman soldier. It was not a Jew. It was not an Israelite. It was not somebody of the faith, if you would. It was not somebody from Israel. It was a Roman and this centurion, he comes and appeals to Jesus and says, number one, he calls him Lord. He says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Jesus, again, showing his what? Willingness. He says, I'm going to come. And look what the guy responds. Sorry, I flipped over two pages. Centurion, verse 8, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Then he clarifies what he means. Like he, he wants Jesus to know, I truly know what I'm talking about when I'm saying I believe your word. He says, I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I said to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he, he tells Jesus, you don't even need to go because I'm under authority, and I recognize your authority, and if you say it, it's enough. Jesus pauses and says this, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel... Have I found such 
faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the utter darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, Jesus even says, there's going to be, he's starting to say, the Gentile is going to have salvation. And there's some that were supposed to have it that are not. Because of this faith. And he says to the centurion, go, let it be done as you have. Let it be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. How do we know that? Well, one of the other gospels recounts the same story. And it says that when the, when the centurion got back home, they told him, the guy's well. And he said, what time was it? And they told him the time, and it was the same time Jesus had spoken it. According to your faith, you will receive. According to our belief. We will receive because that's what he tells them. As you have said, as you have believed. Watch. You go over to chapter number nine. Verse one. Getting into a boat. He crossed over and came to his own city and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes, they said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, picked up his bed, and went. The belief that Jesus can do it in the lives of the friends that brought him to Jesus. It, it, it continues, it continues, it gets even better. Verse number 18 it says, while he was still saying these things, he continues talking, then he we get there, it says, well, he's saying these things to him. Behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. Different faith. Still the same belief that it could happen. But what did the centurion say? Just say the word. What did this person say? We know his name is Jairus from the other passage of scripture where it says a story. He says, come and lay your hand on her. And then Jesus looks and says, oh, no, 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 no. Because you don't believe that I say it. That's not what Jesus does, right? Look what Jesus says. Again, the centurion said, only say the word. The Jairus said, come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him. Jesus was meeting him at his belief, at his faith. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Watch, we've got the lepers 
who look at him and say, if you're willing, you can do it. We've got the centurion who says, just say it and it'll happen. We've got Jairus who says, if you come and touch her, it'll happen. And this woman said, I, I don't need his attention. I just need to touch him. And when she touched him, look at the story. Look what it says. Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. See, the, the other passage of scripture where it ties the story again, it says that when he was touched, he turned around and said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, bro, Jesus, we have a crowd of people around us. We're like in the parade at Disney World, fireworks, the whole thing. There's a lot of people around us. And you say, who touched me? And Jesus said this, it was a different type of touch. Those weren't his words. What Jesus said was this. He says, power left me. Power came out of me. In other words, it was a touch that pulled healing. Because that's where the faith and belief were. Watch, look, because it gets better, right? Instantly, the woman is made well. And when Jesus comes to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Now, if there had been LinkedIn back then, there would have been a LinkedIn job category called professional mourners. Okay? So there were people who were paid to go to the funerals and cry and ah! play the flute and scream and all the different stuff. Don't believe me? Look it up. And so he tells them, go away. The girl's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They're like, I already got paid for this gig. So you know what you're talking about. They would not pay me if the corpse wasn't cold. So what does Jesus do? The next verse says that he pulled them out. He says, when the crowd was put out, verse number 25, he went in. Again, Jairus said, if you touch her. He put everybody out. He came in. He grabbed her by the hand. And the girl arose. And the report went through all of it. Then we get to what we started reading, right? Verse 27. And Jesus passed on from there. Where? Where he had just raised this dead little girl. After he had healed the woman with the issue of blood. After he had healed the lepers and, and, and done all these different things. And the centurion, the, the centurion servant. All these different things have happened. I don't know if it was a day, two days or whatnot. But when he leaves from there, these blind men follow him crying aloud. Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came saying, came to him. And Jesus said, do you believe? In other words, you've heard of everything that's happened, but do you take it as truth that it can happen to you? 
because here's the thing. So many times we hear of somebody else's miracle and somebody else's testimony, and we're like, oh, but it won't happen to me because it's little on me. No, Papo, you're, God is not a respecter of persons. He's going to meet you according to your faith. But if you don't have faith and if you don't believe, you won't happen. And don't blame somebody else on it. Look in the mirror. What is it that I am doing that is opposite to my action of faith? See, this is what we need to do and we need to understand it. We have to fight doubt. We have to fight doubt. Doubt quenches, robs, steals, destroys faith. It's why James chapter 1 says that you have to believe and have faith without doubting. It's why Jesus gives the example that if you pray over something without doubting in your heart, when the fig tree in Matthew chapter 21, right, he curses the fig tree, the fig tree ties, the dies, the disciples are like, oh my gosh, it happened, right? Like, I wonder if they said, oh my God, or like, oh my Jesus, I don't know, anyways, sorry. They, they, they get there, and, and he's like, how? And he's like, if you say it and believe it, it'll happen. And if you don't doubt, you'll even tell the mountain, get walking, and it'll walk. It'll go. We've got to fight doubt. And I need you to get something very, 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 very clear. Satan will try to get us to question what God said. Satan will try to get us to question or doubt God. Can I tell you? Can I show you? It's, it's one of his main strategies. It started all the way in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 1, God creates heavens and the earth, right? All of the heavens, the earth, the animals, all the different things. Chapter 2, he gives a description of when he created man. Chapter 3 is the fall of man. And it starts the chapter by saying that the serpent comes to Eve and says this. Did God truly say? She reiterates what God had said, and then the serpent says, oh, but it's not that you're going to die. It's that he knows you're going to be like him. It started a doubt factor with the question that God truly say. She fell. Adam fell. Sin entered. Fast forward to the second Adam. Who's the second Adam? Jesus. Just blew somebody's mind in there. Jesus is known as the second Adam because he fulfilled what man could not. The second Adam in Matthew chapter 4 is tempted by Satan. Same exact way that Eve was. Watch. It's chapter 4. We're going to go to it in a second. But what does he say? We all heard the story. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. And Satan's word is this. If you truly are the son of God. Well, pastor, that's not him trying to get him doubt into what God said. Oh, yes, it is. And I'll prove it to you. Go to chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Jesus' baptism. This is when he goes in verse 13. He says he comes to the Jordan to John to be baptized. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. But Jesus answered, let it be so now for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all the righteousness. Then he consented. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, Immediately, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. What did God speak over Jesus? 
I am proud of you. I am pleased. You are my son. And the temptation from the Satan, from Satan. The very next two verses after says, if you are the son of God, prove it. Right? That's what he says. If you are the son of God, get these stones and make them bread. And how does Jesus overcome this doubt, this temptation to doubt, to think inappropriate, to question? He stands on the word and says, no, 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 no. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is why it is not a suggestion, but an essential component for every Christian to read the Bible, to read the word of God. And not just the verses you feel like reading. The whole thing. As a matter of fact, the New Testament wasn't written yet when Jesus quoted this. That verse that he quoted is found in Deuteronomy. And Jesus quotes it. And can I tell you something? It's imperative that we learn it because the devil knows the Bible too. Oh, no, he does. Oh, yes, he does. Because if you're reading chapter 4, it says that Jesus says, It is written, thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So then Satan takes Jesus to a, a city, to a high pinnacle of the temple, and tells him, Jump! For it is written, he will give his angels charge over you. Satan quoted Psalm 91. He quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus, jump, right? I, I, I don't remember when I said it. I, I said it a few weeks back. There's people that, that will take scripture and twist it and use one verse and out of context. Like, you know how in the Great Commission in the book of Mark, it says that you will take serpents in your hand and if they bite you, they will not harm you. There are churches in this country and probably around the world that have snakes in the sanctuary, like literally like cases under the chairs with venomous snakes. And the pastor will like hold it saying, if I take anything deadly and it bites me, it will not hurt me. There was one guy that got bitten and they didn't have the antidote and he died. That pastor, I guess, wasn't walking in video. I don't know. Se le fue. Satan quoted at Jesus the scripture. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, you're taking a verse out of context, because there's another one that God says, don't test me on that. And many of us Christians, and I gave you the stat last week, more than 60% of believers do not read their Bible or only read it on Sundays. And even then, I don't want to make him feel bad, but most people are reading it there, not in their hand. We need Bibles, people. We need to read the Bible. It is the living word of God. It is essential. Because if we don't know what the word of God says, 
we don't know what to stand upon. And we overcome doubt, temptations, by standing on the word of God. If Jesus, the incarnate son of God, quoted scripture when he was tempted by Satan, how do you think you and I are going to do it without scripture? Think about that for a second. Like, have your aha moment. Jesus quoted scripture to not fall into temptation. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, he is the great high priest, tempted in everything, yet without sin. You know how he overcame temptation? Quoting scripture. Quoting scripture. It shows it to us. He quoted the word. You and I need to read the word of God every day and all of it. There's a lot of Christians that all they read is the promise book. 199 Bible promises. Nothing wrong with having a promise book. As a matter of fact, we give them out here at church. There's nothing wrong with a promise book, but that can't be your sole Bible reading. There's a lot of believers that only read devotionals. One verse with six paragraphs that were written by a guy or a lady. And yes, the Holy Spirit gave them a revelation on that verse, but you're reading six paragraphs of somebody else's thought on one verse from God. See how the scales are wrong? Are we reading more of what God said than what others are saying? Nothing wrong with a devotional book. Nothing wrong with reading a devotional. But if it was more than the word of God, that's where there's a problem. That's where there's an issue because you and I need to ingest a steady diet of the word of God. We were at Animal Kingdom this week, and um, one of my favorite parts of Animal Kingdom is the Kilimanjaro Safari. And whenever we go to Animal Kingdom, it's usually the first thing we go do because the earlier in the day you go to the safari, is not just that the line is less, but it's cooler, so the animals are out. Like, we saw the cheetah walking around. We saw the lion with three lionesses hanging out and playing around. We saw the white rhino, the black rhino. We saw, the only thing we didn't see was the ostrich. I don't know, I don't know where the ostrich, that's the only one we didn't see. Everything else was there. We saw Pumbaa, we saw everybody. And there's a part of that safari that they go by the flamboyance of flamingos, right? The group of flamingos. And he looks, and the guy will tell you, you see that one over there that has black feathers? That one's only about a year and a half old. The reason he knows it is because flamingos are naturally gray or black. It is a steady diet of what they eat that turns them pink. And it takes two years from its birth to be fully pink on that steady diet. Listen to me now. It takes time in the word of God continually to get to the place where your faith and belief will match. But if you skip it or change the diet, you're going to have black feathers forever. In just the word. Come to church. Yes. Worship together. Yes. Listen to preachings. Yes. Read the word of God. Even more. need it. It is essential. 
It's why we send out verses with daily Bible reading. It's why we create a Bible reading plan and follow the one-year Bible on the, on the YouVersion app and send the email. And we can send the link again if you want to join in. Start today. It's only January 8th. Like, let's, but get into the Word. Because the enemy, who is like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour, is coming to try to destroy. I, I went to visit. A, there was a family that came last week for the first time. They had a baby. The baby was born this week. We talked about it last week. They were sitting right there. And I went to visit. And after service, we were talking before they left. And, 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 and we were talking for a minute, and, 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 and the young lady was mentioning how the doctor had said, you know, maybe we should schedule a C-section, or we should do this or that or the other. And, and she looked at the doctor, and she told the doctor, no, I believe in God, and that he made my body to be able to carry this baby, and I will be able to have a natural birth. And you know what the doctor said? Oh, but if you believe in God and have this faith, why don't you just have the baby at home? Bro. Yeah, whatever. Well, guess what? Contraction started at 9 o'clock at night, and baby Emmanuel was born before 2 in the morning. The doctor didn't even get to scrub up in time almost, right? Like, like it's like, you see? Told you! Do we believe or do we believe? Do we have faith or is it fake? I remember when, when Alexander, we, we, we make big babies. All of our babies were over nine pounds. And I remember Alexander was breached a few weeks before. And Dr. James looked at us and said, you know, we should probably schedule a C-section. Because she's breached. And at this time, there's not a lot of room and it's, she's a big baby. And I remember I asked him in his office. Dr. James, what was it? it was one of the rooms, it wasn't his office. It's like, Dr. James, what's the percentage? What's the likelihood? It's like, well, at this stage of the pregnancy, there's probably about a 5% chance that, that she can get in position. And I looked at him and I said, God can work with that. You know what I would have said if he had said zero? God can work with that. Because whatever it is, God can work with that. Guess what? Next visit the following week, Alexander was in the birth canal the right way. Guys, we need to stir the faith. Now, how do we? We need the word of God to stand on it. But some of us, we need to kick out the loot players and the screamers that are crying for the baby girl that's dead. We need to kick them out of the room. Jesus kicked everybody out. He only went into the room with the little girl with mom and dad. They were believing. And guess what? He didn't even take all the disciples in there. He only took Peter, John, and James. He only took his three innermost circle. The other nine stay outside. I don't believe it was for crowd control. I believe it's because they weren't at the same level. Because when Jesus is later on going to pray, it says that he takes those three with him. Jesus had the three, the 12, the 70. Don't be upset when there's somebody in an inner circle that you're not in. Get your faith up. Oh. I remember one, uh, one time somebody came up to Marcus Witt. And they said, I pray for me. I want to play the piano like you. His response wasn't, I'm going to pray for you. His response to the person was, go spend the hours of practice I've spent on the piano. This whole thing of 
Just pray. Yes. You know what? You pray like the, the guy that asked Jesus, help my unbelief. Help me get rid of it. But it's not going to leave if all we do is listen to Fox and CNN and, 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 and Profeta whoever and, and this. And, and we're filling ourselves with all of these different things instead of with the word of God. What did Jesus say? That's what we do. What did God say? That's what we do. No, but this and this. Kick them out, man. Kick them out. Sorry, I love you. We can have Thanksgiving dinner together, but we're not hanging out right now. But pastor, I thought we're all about love. I love you, but I love my future generations more. So don't go around telling everybody everything. Don't go around bringing everybody in. No, the more people are praying about it, the better. Not true. Why, I'm going to say that again. The more people praying about it, the better. Not true. Because sometimes we share it with somebody who does not have the faith level. And instead of praying for it, tells you things like, bueno, ojalá. Si Dios quiere. Right? Maybe. Well, you know, if it's the Lord's will, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. I will. what Jesus said. I am willing. So can we believe? Next week, I'm going to piece out of the same passages. We're going to talk about the action required with faith. Don't miss it. Worship team, come to the altar. It is essential because faith and belief go hand in hand. And belief, believing, is thinking knowing that what he said is true and who promised, who promised is true. God is not a charlatan. God is not one that speaks. No, he backs up what he says. And so I challenge you this morning, dig into the word every single day, all day long. Fill the word, fill your house with the word of God. Put frames up that have scripture. Confess it. Some of you, most of you probably have never heard me share this story, but when I was doing my internship, if you don't know, I have a background in education. That's what my degree's in. I taught in Dade County Public Schools. And when I was doing my internship, I was interning with fourth grade. I got sick. To this day, we don't know what it was. But I lost about 20 or 30 pounds during my internship. If you see the pictures at my graduation, it looks like I'm wearing somebody else's shirt because the collar's so big. And they couldn't figure out what it was. I went to hospitals. I did cookie swallow tests, all kinds of different stuff. But couldn't figure out. And so I got scriptures on healing. And I went to Office Depot and I laminated them. Three sheets on healing scriptures. And you know where I put them? I put them up in my shower. Because the first thing I do every single morning is shower. Did you get sweaty at night? Sometimes, man. I sweat or whatever. But even if I, even if I, like, I didn't sweat, I shower. It's part of my routine. I spend time with God. And I would sit there in the shower every single morning, and I would confess three full pages of Bible verses on healing. I tell you, I didn't miss one day of my internship. I don't know what it was that I had, but then I gained all the weight back and then some because then I got married. And you know when you get married, you gain like 40 pounds, right? Like it just happens. 
want to hit that out of the park, but I'll tell you later. <laughs> Confessing the word of God healed me. Pastor Joel Stockstill, my apostolic covering, he's been here. He'll be here at some point this year to speak. He's got a book that talks about the, faith, the power of daily Bible reading. And he shares a story in there. He, if you don't know, Pastor Joel has been on dialysis since he was 16 years old. He is one of the longest people in the United States of America on dialysis. Because he's, he's 43. And there was a moment when he was about 17 or 18 where he almost had no vision. And daily forcing, he got a really large print Bible, daily reading the word of God brought healing to his eyes. He's still believing for God to heal his kidneys. But you know what he did for the first time ever? He just spent almost a week in Dubai with the church that they're planting in Dubai. He got the dialysis center in Dubai and he flew all the way to Dubai in faith that he's going to be able to do it without dialysis. Why? Because we believe even though we don't see it yet. So it might take a little longer, but what does Habakkuk say? Write the vision. Make it plain that whoever reads it may run. And though it tarry, even if it takes a minute, continue to believe. Your son, he's coming to Jesus. Your daughter, she's coming to Jesus. Your grandchildren, they're coming to Jesus. The family that you're praying for, they're coming to Jesus. That illness, you're going to be healed. That thing that's broken, restoration is coming. Will you believe? Will you continue to cast the net? Because out of the greatest defeats and struggles in faith will come your victory. Come on, get on your feet. I want to challenge you right now as we enter worship, if we can dim the lights. It's everybody here is on their own journey with God. But the answer is the same for all of us. It's time with God, faith in God. That brings it. But right now, there's some of you that really need to check in with the Lord and ask him, God, what do I need to remove? Who do I need to cut ties with for a season? What things do I need to break with? What do I need to do? What plan do I need to follow? What is it? Lord, speak to me. And as we worship, ask him. He's going to begin to show you things. Trust me, when the thought comes in to read the Bible, it wasn't the devil. When the thought came in to do this, that's going to get you closer to God. That is God speaking to you. You need to learn how to hear his voice. So just tell him right there, God, speak to me. Show me. Come on, let's worship.